0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 8920521 Hebrews chapter 13, the title of this message is Practical Steps for Following Jesus. If you've been tracking with this series, which is about reasons to praise Jesus, Your heart is so full of praise and thanksgiving to who the Lord is and what he's done for you in providing secure salvation that you want to respond to him and follow him in any way he asks for you to do. And the writer of Hebrews moves to this chapter of application and gives at least seven exhortations of how to respond to the greatness of our Lord practically, daily, in living for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us today. And many of us need to hear this word because we want to live a life that's pleasing to you. And we thank you that you have shown us how that is to be done. Bless this preaching of your word and the listening and applying it to our lives individually. To your glory, amen. When you think of the Lord and who he is and all he's done for you, you can't help but love him. And in loving him, you want to follow him and do as he directs. So, our response to the Lord is to love Him. I've taken this entire chapter and boiled it down to four principles regarding our love towards the Lord because of His greatness and the great salvation we have in Him. And these are the four. Love gives. Love protects. Love takes a stand and love worships. If you really love the Lord, you're gonna have a giving heart. If you really love the Lord, you're gonna protect your life from evil and from false teaching. If you really love the Lord, you're gonna stand up, stand up for Jesus. And if you really love the Lord, you are gonna have a commitment to worshiping him with God's people and worshiping him as a lifestyle of serving others in love. Let's see each of these points as they are clearly delineated in Hebrews 13. First of all, love gives. Keep caring for others. In Hebrews 13:1 and 2, it says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So if you really love the Lord, then you should be loving the Lord's family, because you're related. The moment you became a Christian, you went from being me to being we. You have organically been connected by the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized by the Holy Spirit to become a member of the body of christ therefore we are to love one another as brothers and sisters in christ and keep on loving even when it's hard to love Someone wrote a book about marriage says uh, good marriages take time bad marriages take more time don't give up just because it's a struggle keep on loving continue to overcome, continue to desire that person's best. Continue to let the Spirit of Christ love others through you, even the unlovely, even your enemies. Keep on loving one another, but especially the family of God, as brothers and sisters. And love opens up your heart and your home to others in hospitality. Now there's a difference between hospitality and entertainment. entertainment would be the Martha Stewart approach. The eight course meal, the homegrown everything, uh, everything completely decorated. If we were going to go the Martha Stewart approach to uh, the false concept of hospitality, which is entertainment, we would hardly ever have anybody over. Irma Bombeck, some of you remember her, was a person with a quick wit. And she said, I decided, I don't care if my house is perfectly clean. I don't care if all I have is leftovers. I'd rather have somebody come on over and enjoy time with them, letting down our hair and just being real with each other than having to put on a show and impress people. So that's what we're talking about. And this was very important in the day of this letter because they didn't have hotels. They didn't have uh, restaurants uh, like we do on every corner. Uh, Christians depended on people having them in their home, especially with persecution. They were kicked out of their homes. They were kicked out of their cities. They were people on the run. Show them hospitality. Provide for them. Don't just open your heart, open your home. Get practical and show love to them in that way. In verse 3 it says, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. I believe it was the Polish man Lech. Valesa, who taught us the word solidarity. What is solidarity? Solidarity is where I'm one with you and you're one with me. We're in this together. If you go to prison for standing up for Christ, I'm standing with you. I'm with you. I have solidarity with you. If you're being mistreated because you stood up for Christ, I back you 100%. We have solidarity. Now, back then, the uh, prison system was not like it is today. It's not three square meals and a roof over your head and medical attention and dental care at the expense of your taxes. It was, if somebody doesn't come and feed you, you starve to death. So you had to bring food to the jail for fellow Christians who are in there for standing up for Christ. Don't forget those who are standing up for Christ. Now, there are many organizations today that tell us about those who are being martyred and tortured for their faith, and we need to be praying for them. We need to be backing them. We need to be um, putting pressure on government that they might be released. These are all biblical concepts based on love. If you love the Lord, you love his family, you love the body of Christ, and when they're persecuting family, they're persecuting Christ. That's what Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus. Why are you persecuting me? So, love is the best practical response we can have to the greatness of Jesus. But secondly, Not only does love give, love protects. Now, when I do premarital counseling, I draw a circle. And I say there's two sides to the coin of intimacy. One side is you've got to grow it. If you don't grow intimacy in your marriage, it's like fish Swimming upstream. Salmon's swimming upstream. There's all sorts of forces against you and your spouse growing in friendship and closeness and in intimacy. Why? Because the world just goes against that, and Satan hates Christian marriage. So you've got to grow intimacy. The other side of the coin is you've got to guard intimacy. watch out for the flirting person over there who asks you, are you married? Are you happily married? They're trying to wheedle their way into your life and break you up. Guard your marriage. You've got to grow your marriage and guard your marriage. Same with your walk with the Lord. You've got to grow in the Lord and you've got to guard against the things that would bring you away from the Lord. And so, in guarding your life, Verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. There are consequences to being unfaithful to your spouse. God's intention and desire is that a man and a woman be married for life. Now, some of you have experienced divorce, and we don't know all of the extenuating circumstances behind that, and we're not judging what we're saying here is, God's ideal, is that marriage be pure and loyal and devoted and for a lifetime. That's God's ideal. And the writer to the, of the Hebrews is saying, if you love Jesus, then don't be like pagans who are going around trying to satisfy their sexual appetites outside of the confines of marriage where it is sacred and designated to be. Love protects in that we are to guard our lives from materialism. We are to keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have. Because God has said, never will I leave you Never will I forsake you. You've got to stop for a second and think about that. What is the connection between you not being greedy or you feeling uh, not you not being insecure? Is to know that God is with you and He is your helper and He is your provider. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Psalm 23, verse 1 in English. I know the King James says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But in plain English, it means, the Lord is my shepherd, I have no wants. I have everything I need. So the Lord is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Where is your security? In your money? In your financial portfolios? No, your security is in the Lord. And he's with you, and he'll take care of you underneath are the everlasting arms upholding you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? God is in charge. We also protect our lives when we remember our leaders, spiritual leaders that have impacted our lives who spoke the word of God to us, when we consider the outcome of their way of life, and when we imitate their faith, we are guarding our lives. Now, something I didn't know until I researched this more thoroughly is to consider the outcome of their life is that they were probably martyred. So I I thought from a superficial reading of the scripture, You know, look at your pastor and other spiritual leaders who have impacted you and, you know, imitate their faith while they're alive. But this makes a lot of sense because when people I know who have lived for the Lord have died, I have kept the memorial service program with their picture on it. And I've put it on the shelf in my office upstairs. Because they are my hall of faith. They are my spiritual heroes that just seeing their picture inspires me to live for the Lord and to finish well. That's important. Do you have spiritual heroes that you think about who impacted you? May you be prompted to imitate their faith. And you know, when we go to a Funeral, one of the things that you can't help but think in your life, in your mind, is what did this person have that I want to emulate? What, how did this person touch my life that I want to pass that same quality on to others? Yesterday at Bob Iker's Celebration of Life Service, the theme of servanthood Serving others came out loud and clear. Oh, that we might be a servant to others like Bob Iker was with leading the uh, Christian school in town and, and doing so much more. But here's the point. Not every leader is a good example. And many of us have been totally shocked and uh, um appalled when a leader is found out to be scandalous therefore our eyes should not be on humans alone but we should always fix our eyes upon Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith it's only Jesus who's perfect it's only Jesus who is our ultimate example. It's Jesus who should inspire us the most. His obedience, his submission to the Father. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't let you down. He doesn't change. He is solid and trustworthy, and he is always faithful. Set your eyes on Jesus as your example and you'll guard your life. Also guarding your life in protecting love is do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, verse 9. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. So the strange teachings is that magnetic pull towards legalism. There's always going to be somebody trying to influence you to make you think that you are loved by God based on your performance, and that's wrong. It's not performance-based acceptance, it's grace-based acceptance, God chose you god loved you jesus died for you you are his by the shedding of the precious blood of jesus and out of belonging to the lord out of being already approved by the lord you love him and you obey and serve him it's not out of legalism it's out of grace so i could even hear somebody saying Well, you have left Judaism and you've gone to Christianity. You don't even go to the temple anymore and have an altar. You don't have an altar. Oh, yes, we have an altar. You know what our altar is called? It's called the cross. So they have an altar of legalism. We have an altar of grace. All religions are about what you do, for a deity christianity is about what's been done for us in christ he paid it all all to him we owe sin had left a sinful a, a terrible stain but the lord washed it all away so praise be to god let's not fall for legalism or for license which is live any way you want let's focus on and have our hearts filled with grace. God has accepted us and caused us to belong in Him by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Even though we don't deserve it, He has expressed His unmerited grace to us and acceptance to us and approval towards us. Let's live out of the grace of God. Let that grace fill our hearts. So instead of feeling like we're a disappointment to God, know that we are a pleasure to God And out of that confidence, out of that sense of love and delight that he sings over us, let's say, Lord, I want to live all for you. That's where it's at. So love gives. Love protects. And thirdly, love takes a stand. And that's you and me being willing to suffer for Christ. Verse 11, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Right here, I get get touched, I get moved to tears. Jesus was crucified outside the city. He was crucified outside, meaning he went to where people are rejected, where people are um, reproached, where people are cursed. And he took upon himself the reproach and the curse and the rejection that you and I deserved because of our sin. Now, if Jesus will identify with us all the way to becoming sin, that we might become his righteousness as a sacrifice on the cross, are you and I willing to stand with him when we are rejected, when we are reproached, when we experience persecution for his sake? I hope the answer is yes, I'm going to take a stand. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And so I don't care what people think, I care what God thinks, and I want to stand up for Jesus. I don't want to deny my faith, I don't want to compromise, I don't want to um, get lost in a system of religion which is in this city, I'm thinking outside of the box. I'm thinking outside of the city. And I'm devoted to Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Take a stand on the finished work of Christ. Be willing to suffer for him. And finally, love worships. And that is that when you respond to Jesus and his greatness and his great salvation for you, You can't help but want to praise him and serve him. Share and support. Verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Did you know that the word worship means to serve? So worship has two aspects to it, speaking and serving. We are to speak our praise to the Lord, and we worship when we serve him. Did you know that? Your service unto the Lord is an act of worship. Both concepts are together. We can't say, I praise the Lord, but I have no time to serve him. That's not worship. We serve him as a way of life. We worship him on Sunday, the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead. We worship him every day of, our, of the week. Love worships. It shares and it supports. Think about this in verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they must keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work may be a joy and not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. In other words, spiritual leaders are to be supported as they're trying to direct you towards Christ. Jesus said, uh, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But if you give spiritual leaders a hard time and you're constantly bucking them and resisting them, sheep biting at the ankles of the shepherd, that's not great for the spiritual leader so the spiritual leader is not about himself he's about the lord and so you want to back that you want to support that so that his act of worship which is leading and guiding and overseeing you spiritually in your development is a joy not something he's gritting his teeth and bearing you know moses got to the point of saying did I give birth to all these Israelites that I have to carry them like crying babies through the wilderness? That was not a joy for him. But let me say you make it a joy to serve the Lord here at Pew Bible fellowship and I'm very thankful for all of you. It's a partnership. We all want the Lord to be glorified. So worship is an aspect of love, and the way you love others and your spiritual leaders is to pray for them. Prayer is an act of love, do you believe that? Every day I pray for my family members by name, because I love them. Every day I pray for Butte Bible Fellowship, because I love you. Every day I'm praying for the lost, the musicians I play music with, and my neighbors in my neighborhood. I want them to come to know the Lord. Why am I praying for them? Because I love them. Prayer is an act of love. And how should you pray for your leaders? Pray that they have a clear conscience and a desire to live honorably in every way because Satan wants to trip them up so he can try to give Jesus a black eye. Pray. Pray for your spiritual leaders. They're human. They have clay feet up to their kneecaps. Pray for them. Pray for me. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you. So the writer of Hebrews wants to be restored to the people he's writing to. And then he goes into the most beautiful doxology in Hebrews thirteen twenty to 21. Now may the God of peace, notice this praise and worship, may the God of shalom, of perfect well-being, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, this is the only reference of the resurrection in the whole book of Hebrews, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us, what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see the heart of worship by the writer of the Hebrews, and he's saying to you and to me, that's love. Love acknowledges who God is, what Jesus has done for us, and relies upon the Lord on a daily basis to equip us and to work in us and through us to His glory. Yes! That's worship. We have moved from contemplating God to communing with God. And we are relied upon Him, and that dependency upon Him to allow Him to live His life through us is a sacrifice of praise. Now, This is very practical. Did you know that bearing a sermon is an act of worship? Verse 22, Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly, 13 chapters is quite briefly, don't ever complain that you've heard a long sermon unless somebody reads the entire book of Hebrews to you, 13 chapters, and says, and that was just a warm-up. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 530- to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.